y'all this is seba the southern fried witch and this is episode 24 of season two and today we have a very special guest on our podcast personal friend of mine uh say hi everybody hi everybody this is crystal sands and crystal has this wonderful journal uh one that i read and love very very much you want to tell them all about that real quick crystal yeah, it's it's a journal called Farmerish, and it is a, a journal that's dedicated to farming and nature. But we have a very strong focus on the the cycles of nature and the seasons, and and that was something that I didn't experience until I started farming with my husband. And so we just try to to celebrate nature, conservation, sustainability, all through the lens of farming and growing and, and that kind of independence. Right. And let's go ahead and just let everybody know that we worked together years ago online at an unnamed institution. Yes. <laughs> As professors, instructors. And so there's a lot of an art element as well to this journal, a lot of poetry and yeah, a little bit about that and why you thought that was important. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that um, that was kind of important in my life and then also it was coming through in, in kind of our whole family is that as creatives, I was feeling like that working with nature was really informing that creativity and, and really helping me develop a voice. I had always kind of felt myself as this very kind of creative person and wanting to write and but having no purpose. And when we started farming and I started living outside in the woods and feeling so much more connected to both the plants and the animals, I started to feel like, oh, I have something to say. And then I started to see that others were kind of approaching it in the same kind of way. And by it, I guess I mean farming, like it was really impacting them on a kind of spiritual level. And I think it was, again, that connection to nature. And so when I opened, that had the idea to start Farmerish and opened it up for submissions, I was just overwhelmed by the number of people who were, you know, so similar in this. Like this was, this was a path to a, a different life. And it started with this goal of farming and growing food that led to this connection to nature, which led to this kind of spirituality that um, it has really changed my life. And I'm glad that, you know, we are able to share so many voices of others who have had similar experiences. And, and as you mentioned, we get a lot of poems and essays and um, just personal histories. And I really love that I get to share that, that there's a place that these kinds of stories can live. And speaking of stories, one of my favorite stories is how you came up with a name. You want to go into that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, 
my husband and I, uh, we, we really have a very small plot of land. It's like 1.6 acres. And I would say, well, we're farming. Um, we're growing food. We have chickens. We have ducks. We're, we raise so much of what we eat. We sell a little bit. And I would call us farmers. And my husband, who grew up in Montana, um, had this very different idea of what a farmer is. He said, we have no tractors. We have no cows. We have no barn. We're not farmers. Um, and I would say, well, we're farmer-ish. And that just kind of stuck. And so like for like years, it was just this joke. And I would say, well, we're being farmer-ish. And he would laugh. And But so when I was trying to think of an idea for the journal, that's where that came from, out of our story with not quite being farmers, but being very farmer-ish. Well, I actually love that because I hold a deep contention with the way we decide what the word farmer means. Yes. Um, you know, I'm writing a book and I'm writing a book yes. about the intersectionality, right, between witchcraft and farming. And because of that, I'm doing research, Crystal. And what I keep running into is this USDA designation of the word farmer. Uh. And yeah, you can tell your husband that, well, it doesn't have a lot to do with tractors. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the no-till, uh, you know, movement. Um, but it does have to do with how much actual money, you know, in a capitalistic society you are bringing in per year. I will say it's a low amount. It's a thousand. However, if you aren't garnering that cash in hand, you're not considered, according to the government, a farmer, which I hold a lot of... Uh, I, I take truck with that, you right. know, uh, that doesn't suit for me. And the reason it doesn't suit for me is, you know, eons ago, a farmer was somebody who would feed his community and his own family. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. It's about being a nurturer, you know, providing sustenance and assuring people could live. And it was an art form. So to designate a certain dollar amount to that, it just takes away something that I want to get into uh, with you is the spirituality of the whole thing. So speaking of the spirituality of it all, this is a witch podcast, although uh, I do have a lot of folks listening that are not witches. I even have a preacher or two listening, so it's fun. How would you... Uh, self-describe your own spirituality if you feel comfortable doing so. Yeah, um, I I would say like to to start out kind of related to my farmer ish. I I would say I would I wouldn't identify as a witch, but I would say I'm witch ish. Um, I grew up in a really strict Southern um, Baptist, which for me was very traumatic. And so when I became an adult, I just, I went all the way away and I became I, certainly agnostic, um, had some atheist leanings. And it was for me, this is really one of the most powerful changes in my life. It was when we moved to the woods and started farming that I thought, I think there is something. Um, and so I, I started to to move away from my notions of atheism and started, I just, there was too much magic. There was too much magic. There was too much. 
And it, it started like my first little inklings of this magic was just a green bean seed. And I planted the green bean seed and I got this giant bush that made all these beans. And I thought, that's a gift. That is magic. And it just kind of grew from there when we got animals and the connection that I started to feel to the animals. In many ways, it felt to me like it gave me some hope. And I feel like not that this is the case for everyone, but during my my decade or so of being, you know, more atheist, it didn't sit well with me. I wanted there to be something, if that makes any sense. I wanted there to be something. I, I had friends who were atheists who seemed very satisfied with that identification, but it didn't sit well with me. And so living more connectedly to nature, it, it gave me hope. I needed there to be something bigger. I'm just that kind of person. And so the magic for me was coming through nature and, and seeing it and, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, we've lost this. There are so many of us, not all of us, of course, but I certainly had lost that connection to nature. And, you know, I think because of that, I had lost, for me, my core of my spirituality. And tell me this, though, because you and I share something that not a lot of folks do, besides just being professors <laughs> and also farmer or farmer-ish. We also share this understanding of animal spirits and and the souls of these animals. And I, I want to just stop right here and say that you have a podcast that's lifted off as well. Yeah. And I just listened to the last one when I was transplanting on my peppers this morning. I ended up crying in the middle of it. Oh. <laughs> About the hawks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was just so powerful and so potent. But I remember, I think, the first time that you and I really connected on a really deep level, you know, something with meat on the bones was our love for chickens. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I thought you would think I was crazy. And <laughs> Harriet has a soul, <laughs> you know, my chicken. And, and we talked about that. So how did loving your chickens, how did that bring you closer to this sort of budding spirituality that you have now that's very witch-ish? Yeah. How did that relationship matter in the greater scheme of that? I think... For me first, I'll, I'll, and maybe it's okay to just like tell a little bit of the story. When we first got chickens, I had grown up in town. My great-grandmother had had chickens, had a farm, but I had never had, I was so little when she passed that I had never had chickens or been really close to them. And I grew up with the notion that like everyone espoused in the culture I grew up in, and that is that chickens are stupid and we eat them and they're stupid. and yeah, it didn't take long for me to see that that was absolutely nonsense. And so, you know, I just started studying them. They were fascinating to me just straight away, just fascinating to me um, and just started, you know, spending time with them and studying them and, you know, discovering their individuality and the complexity of their cultures and their dynamics that they have with each other their friendships, some with each other, some more friendships with me. 
And then over time, it started to change into something even bigger for me. It was almost, and I wasn't even sure what it was or what was happening. And I don't even know if I'm still for sure. I just had a really powerful experience again about a week or so ago. But just this connection where it was almost as if I could tell what they were thinking. And I just thought, I thought for the longest time that I was reading their facial expressions. And then I I talked to other people and they're like, I can't read their facial expressions. And I thought, well, okay, so I'm certainly an empath and, you know, I'm sure that makes me more in tune with their facial expressions. But over time, as that started to develop further, where it felt almost like it was something psychic and, and that I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but I think you're kind of close to it. And don't worry, the audience is going to go, right? I know that moment. Okay, okay. <laughs> you're fine. Um, and just to the point where I would just have senses of things that was going on with the flock. Um, and then starting to see that those senses were then correct. And that was really, really powerful for me. I doubt myself all the time. So I would try to say, well, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. But about 10 days ago, one of my my dearest hens, her name was Broody Hen because she was our first hen to ever go broody. I'd never seen a broody hen before. She was one of our original flock. So I've had her eight years and we were very close. She was, we were just very close. And so we had that closeness and we had the time. And we had this relationship where she kind of got to do whatever she wanted. She didn't have to stay in with the rest of the flock. She could come outside and like walk around the driveway. And then I would say, we have to leave Broody Hen. It's time to go. And she would know what I meant. And she would just go up. And so we just had this relationship. And she, being very old, and she's a production hen, she um, about a year ago started showing signs of ovarian cancer. And so I knew that we didn't have a whole lot of time, but she has a strong will. So she, so it's been a year since I first started to, to notice the signs. But there's, not, there's nothing really you can do at this point. She's an old hen, you know, and she has this ovarian cancer, and I knew she was going to pass. And the only thing for me to do was just treasure her, help her, you know, know how special. It's okay. Sorry. It's totally okay. She was, I was out one evening talking with her and I told her, you know, I was telling her how much I loved her. Yeah. I said, you understand that, right? You understand that you are loved. And I got this like feeling in my mind and it was this, it felt like her telling me, I don't feel well. I feel tired. Oh. And I just, in the immediate, I just talked back to her and I said, I know, I know. And I told her that there's nothing I can do to help her now. She had been sick a few years prior and I had helped her. She got over it. She had a respiratory illness and she healed up and got, you know, a long time more. And so I had to tell her, I said, I can't help. Sorry. Do you need to take a break? We're just going to take a break for a minute, okay? Okay, okay. Because also, I just ruined my makeup. 
We are on a break. I hope I'm not hurting you. No, no, not at all. It was, I'm just amazed at how raw that felt like telling the story, you know, <laughs> it's like losing, it's like losing a child. It's, it's yeah. okay. So what I'm hearing crystal is that this is painful, absolutely excruciating this loss of your friend of an yeah. actual friend. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. She was my friend. She was your friend. And, you know, on your podcast that I believe was released on Monday, is that correct? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. You interviewed someone who actually spoke to how chickens talk, right. how they, you want to say something about that and how they can consider you? Yeah. And this is so great. It's one of those things where I wouldn't have met this person had it not been for the Farmerish Journal. Um, but I was interviewing um, Cy Montgomery, who's a, a really famous naturalist author and has published a lot on animal intelligence and their communication and their individuality and has, you know, won many awards for her work. And, you know, that has certainly like helped bolster, I think, my confidence in terms of what I am experiencing, being able to read her writing and then to be able to connect with her has helped so much. But she was telling me a story about one of her, another science writer, they were at a science writing convention. And um, she was telling a story, she was a chicken person as well. And she had documented, uh, there's, you know, some great research on chicken language. Um, and this woman had documented that her chickens had a particular name that they called her. And this has no, been known that chickens do this, but to have, she had recordings of it, consistent recordings of these, you know, chickens basically using their name for her. And um, it was so powerful for me to, to hear that. You know, I wanted to say that, you know, my love for Harriet. Yes. Yes. Harriet is a tiny frizzle coaching bantam. Uh, I don't think she weighs more than two pounds and she means everything to me. And I've already talked about her on the podcast before, so I won't go into her origin story, but she is the last of her brood, the very last one living. And as all my chickens began to die, when we got Merrick's from a not great farmer, I went out there every day and I would see her sisters, you know, they were past and were suffering and we had to take care of that. And I remember saying to her every time, hey, I would say, hey, and she would look up. Mm -hmm. Harriet, please give me more time. I need more time. She is three years old oh. and she was the best mama of all of them. You know, she was the one who would let me get the babies. Oh, yeah, that's the best. Yes. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> she would stand up even and, and show them to oh, me. Oh, that's the best when they share their motherhood with you. Mm -hmm. that's the, like, it feels like the most, like the most honor, like highest honor, I, it feels. Yeah, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that relationship continues to this day. But. As to the spiritual connection, you know, Harriet taught me a very inconvenient truth. And as a witch, it matters to me. To be a witch actually means to be in tune and, you know, affect change and be part of nature as much as we can. And Harriet taught me 
I know that Brudian taught you <laughs> that there is so much more that we almost don't want to know. Yeah. But I don't think it's fair for us to take the lives of animals to eat unless we do know it. I agree with that. I think that was really like the first reason I started writing about my farming experiences was what you just said, that key message that there it is a life that we take when we eat meat and there is a, a gratefulness and a reverence that I feel that we should have. I read uh, about a year or so ago, something like it was in the 40s, something around 40% of the meat purchased in the United States is thrown out. It's waste. And my God, this just hit me so hard because it's a waste of life. It's a waste of personality. It's a waste of beings who matter. And, and, I, and I think there is a gap, that gap between understanding that the meat that we eat comes from an animal, it, I, it's causing problems all over the place from our own disconnect to the, from the food that we eat to the consequences for the animals themselves to the consequences to the humans who have to work in really horrific conditions that a lot of animals are in to the consequences for the planet. and. I agree with all of that. And I do believe that if we're going to try to connect with nature and we're also going to be meat eaters and not everybody is. Right, right. Sometimes it's too much when you find it all out. Yeah. But if we decide to do that, the very least we can do is respect the life. Yes. You know, and so, for instance, I mean, it was a very inconvenient truth about Harriet. My husband could not eat chicken wings for two years. He finally did last year. He said they were just too much like the little girl he held in his hands and he just couldn't, yeah. you know, but we need to not be numb and we need to not be disconnected yeah. because with that realization and with that acceptance of, oh, this is a life. And maybe this chicken had a personality or maybe this cow had one. And to recognize that for even five seconds would mean that we would want them to have a good death. Yes. If there's such a thing to have. Right. Yes. So one without fear, um, a life that wasn't suffering. Right. You know, the, the Native Americans knew this. They honored the animal. They gave honor to all parts of that animal. And I believe it's the least we can do to give that respect. What do you think? I, I agree so much. And I think that, you know, if we can, if we could develop that deeper respect as a culture, I think that, you know, it would just be this, this trickle effect of better conditions across the board less waste, better for the planet, better for the animals, better for the humans who work with animals. And, you know, it. I agree so much, so much. All right. Well, I think we agree on that, but I want to kind of bring this back around to that intersectionality that we talked about. Um, if you are a farmer and 
if you feel this thing, some of us call it magic, some of us call it the craft, but what would you say is the most magical thing you felt other than that wonderful green bean? Yes, it's some of it is really with the connection to the animals. I had another chicken that I was very close to. Her her name was Poe. She was an all black chicken. And we just, we just, we, our personalities just meshed. I appreciated her. And I think she appreciated that I appreciated her. We're very close. And we had a, a really powerful experience. I did write about this um, in the journal. It took me a long time. It took about two years to be able to share this. And when she was near her end, again, it was cancer and, and, and I knew it was coming. She was so close to me that I just brought her in the house and we just hung out. We would hang out in the evenings when my work was finished. And one night I had this idea that I wondered if I could connect with her. I had just learned a little bit about meditation and I thought, I'll see um, what I can do. She was sitting in my lap and up against my chest. I had her held up against my chest and I could feel her heartbeat. And I just started to try to align my breathing with her heart and then to align our our breathing together. And it just, as much as I could, I thought I'm going to try to align myself with her. And I, again, and this was the first time I had had that kind of experience but I had a feeling of that I didn't want to die. Oh. And I had a feeling that the earth was pulling me toward the earth, but I didn't want to go toward the earth. I wanted to fly oh. to be free. And, but the weight felt heavy. And I, what made me think that this had come from Poe was that that's not how I feel. I feel very much, and this is something I've learned as a part of the spirituality of farming, that I'm good going to the dirt. I want to go to the dirt. I want to, in Maine, we can have natural burials and that's what I will have. I want to, I want to become part of the earth. And so to have that feeling of not wanting to go, it was like, I don't want to go yet. I want to fly. I thought that might come from Poe. And that was like probably the first really powerful, magical experience that I had that was just absolutely life-changing for me and and helped me deeply understand um, the connections that we can have and how magical those connections can be. And then your husband made the most beautiful beautiful poem I've ever read. <laughs> and, and because of that, I had to buy it for my grandbaby. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's my favorite poem. <laughs> I think so too. And I'm going to go ahead and put like the Etsy shop and everything up in the notes so uh, that people can go find all this wonderful It's a great poem. Yes. And also captured all my mascara because I couldn't stop <laughs> crying. <laughs> Crystal, speaking of the writing about Poe, I remember that you had gone through some trauma. And part of the reason, uh, it's not the whole reason, it's absolutely not. But part of the reason some of us come to the craft is because of trauma. 
you know, I've been doing this for a few years and what I continually hear is either religious trauma or, you know, institutionalized patriarchy, witches actually find a freedom to express themselves where the power is coming from something that's not necessarily male or again, an institution. They can find that power within themselves and find that power within the woods. And it's so freeing. And it usually is healing to trauma. It was true for me. I know it's true for so many of the people that, you know, come to me and talk about it. And whether or not you self-identify fully, I know that you sort of, well, you're on the periphery of this. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a it's a very loving and freeing spirituality. Do you see this? Do you see just from your own experience, do you see the draw for someone who might be traumatized to find this freedom and such a self-empowerment? Absolutely. I I think, you know, and I experienced some of that myself as I've analyzed my own draw to witchcraft and it started for me like I started to use the word. I didn't even use that word. It just felt magic to me. I thought that I couldn't identify as a witch because I thought there was a lot of work and study. Um, I had gone to college with a Wiccan priestess and she was, you know, so wise and had devoted her life to study. And I thought, well, I, you know, I'm not on that level, but I had a lot of draw to it. And then one of the things that I saw is a lot of the, my favorite submissions that were coming into Farmerish were actually from women who did identify as witches. And we published quite a few um, in the, in the pages of our journal. And you know, and that started making me think, well, you know, what does it take to identify? Maybe I don't have to be on the same level as the wonderful woman that I went to college with. Um, And so I just, I started reading. I I remember I was reading one night about like, what does it even mean to, to be a witch? And I saw some things come up that I had been drawn to my whole life. My aunt is an astrologer. And I remember her, you know, doing my chart and giving me readings and just, I was the one in our family who was like, I need more, I need more, I need more. And a few years ago, she sent me all her books, ancient books that are just magnificent and started to teach me. And so I thought, oh, well, there's another way that I I have these leanings, even though I wouldn't identify. And then I started reading more. I I actually Googled, why are witches so popular? (laughs) Because it was like, it was, it was almost like I was (laughs) everywhere around me. And I'm like, what is this draw? Why am I so drawn? Why are so many women I know so drawn? And there was this article in the Atlantic that really spoke to what you're talking about. And that is we're coming from sometimes traumatic experiences. There are no answers in this patriarchal system or this traditional religious system that is patriarchal and there's no answers for us. And I thought, yeah, this is <laughs> this is yeah. what's going on. And it it really it made sense to me in my own life, you know, what I had seen and 
you know, I, I, when I look back on the trauma that I feel from my childhood, some of it was just, you know, I grew up in an abusive home and some of it was just this very clear cut, yes, that causes trauma. But I also grew up in a church that on Sunday told me I was going to hell. And as yeah. a child who like, I had a very vivid imagination. So I would all week long then think about how horrific hell was that I was going to have to go to. And it just terrified me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I can see that that added to my, my struggles as an adult of, you know, not feeling able to connect, even though I had this urge to have, you know, some kind of connection to something greater than myself. And I just, I couldn't. And also just, you know, feelings of fear and anxiety and low self-worth. And, you know, I was like, wow, you know, some of that came from my church. and. It's a tough thing to say that because on, on one level, the, the people like my Sunday school teachers and things, they were very kind, you know, and provided stability when I didn't have any, but at the same time, they were, they were scaring me and telling me that basically I was born of sin and that I was bad and it didn't do good things for me. I wanted to say that while there are a few gatekeepers in our community, um, I know you've listened to the podcast, even though we're friends, I know you've listened yes. and I am very firmly against dogma because dogma is what has created so much of that, you know, the things that abused you and abused me as children and women, young girls I'm just firmly against dogma myself. I see God as the big mama. Yeah. This great mother, this loving. And and I understand if other witches need something else, but that's what's sort of freeing, I think, about our spirituality is that there are way less rules. And it's all about how you experience the great divine. And I find that personally, I find it hot. So yeah, I needed that in my life. I needed that. I needed that unconditional acceptance. And I think what one experiences in a garden privately alone with their soul just laid bare. No one has the right to call you not good enough to be that. This is something so old and so I mean, it goes back 30 something thousand years. This is being part of the world, part of nature, part of the magic of it all. And if anyone were to listen to this podcast, what I would hope they would take away is if you feel like you're a witch, then you're a witch. That's like the number one premise of being able to enter a spirituality, some might call religion that doesn't tell you anymore how you can be who you are, that your rough edges aren't okay, and that you have to shave this off or, you know, sandpaper off that. It is the most accepting of all. So to me, if you feel witchish, <laughs> then you are a witch. <laughs> I needed to hear that. Thank you. Oh, no, you're welcome. And I love you dearly. I mean, that's one thing, you know. <laughs> but
But coming from a childhood of never being quite good enough, this is the only safe place I've ever found. And I hope anyone listening to the two of us talk about it, I hope they can find it too. Just this acceptance for whoever you are, whatever gender, whatever sexuality, whatever religion, it's okay, you know, because when we're alone, we are alone with the whole universe. You know what that feels like, right? Yeah. And your universe just might make you a witch. I love this. Um, one of the things that I do is when I make jams or when I um, make sauces from the garden, there's a big pot and I say it's my cauldron and I and I love being over it. And I when I put my ingredients in, I also say I put love in there and I just it was so much intention. You know, I I just work with intention and I was doing this uh, just a few days ago. And my son said to my husband, when did mom become a witch? (laughs) (laughs) And and my husband said, I think she's always been. Oh, (laughs) so much validation. Yeah. I was going to say that religion is sort of the last frontier. Yeah. It really is in a lot of ways that so many of us down here in the South have to stay in the closet. Or we could be fired or injured and, you know, lose loved ones. And I don't know what you think about that. How do you feel about that for Um, those of us down in the South? I I have to say, you know, having grown up in the South and I still have family in the South, like my mom would not understand this at all. She would, well, she would not understand. Um, and and it's so easy, I think, being here in Maine where I I feel like it's almost, and I'm sure there are exceptions, but it's much more accepted and, and people can talk about being a witch openly and in farm forums and other forums. And I think it's easy for me to forget, oh yeah, just look at my family that is in the South and, you know, how would they handle this? And it it's heartbreaking to me that it's so misunderstood and of course there's a reason that it's so misunderstood and you you know you talked about it you know early on this is women getting power and you know there are many people who do not want that to happen so yeah it's heartbreaking to me and it's easy for me to forget you know i haven't lived in the south in well is 20 years ago this year that i moved away So what's important to me is to end on this beautiful journal that you birthed that is bringing all this to the table, you know, all this art and poetry, recipes, you know, the magic of a farm. And I'm wondering how you think witches and pagans could maybe see themselves as being readers of this. What is wonderful about this open space that you've created here? for people who love to farm or just love the things that come out of one? I think that we have a really strong focus on our connections to nature. We publish, for example, on the solstices and the equinoxes. And I think that we really have tried, or and I've really tried to, to bring this through in the journal, to have this connection to these ancient traditions, these these human rituals that go so far back, because we are, after all, 
agricultural. And, you know, that's where human society really formed. It's around, you know, our traditions um, related to the growing of our food that, you know, what's more important. And so we, we have these connections to nature and these ancient traditions and, and these cycles of life that have existed since, you know, since we developed culture. And I think that I, I really wanted to bring that into it because that was, for me, what made farming so magical. It was this connection to all the humans before me who have done this too. And I, you know, we really try to capture that. And I think that's why we get a lot of submissions from witches and we publish a lot from those submissions. And I think that's why there's, there's a definite draw, you know, in terms of our submissions that we get. Well, I also want to say that there are very few publications out there that bring all that, the farming and the lore, all of this, the poetry to the table. And I look at it like a table. So we have the food and we have the heritage of the food and we have the ancestors of the plants and we have all the love and loss and experiences of the farmer. And there's very few publications out there doing that work. Yeah. I know you were very inspired by Thoreau. So should we end with Thoreau? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Just what you said about, you know, there's just not a lot that's covering this and that was really what gave me the notion to start this journal. I, as a writer, I was trying to get into a territory that's not very mainstream. And I just, you know, the more I went along, um, the more I saw that people I would talk to would say, oh, I would love to hear more about that. Or it would be great to see more writing on that. And then me just not having any idea of a place that would publish that. That was really, you know, what helped give birth to Farmerish. But yeah, I think that it, it really does. And I hope, I hope we keep growing and, and trying and expanding to continue to give a voice to this, to these kinds of stories, to the magic of the farm, to the spirituality of the farm. And to the ancient wisdom that we can gather as farmers when we appreciate that lore and that history. That's wonderful. Well, as you well know, I love the journal and I'm so grateful that you came on to the podcast today because I think a lot of people don't know about the journal and it's a treasure. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it so much. Thank you again. And this was the Southern Fried Witch. I will talk to y'all next week. Love y'all like chicken. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.